Yeah, the recorder was not on, so we commence again. Eh? Today is the Tuesday, 14th of May, eh? 2019. So we will be having our Tuesday class, and we will commence our puja chanting now. Let us compose our mind, develop the faith, sadha, virya, then mindfully we shall commence the puja chanting. Namo Pensu Su Chia Moni Fo Namo Pensu Su Chia Moni Fo Namo Pensu Su Chia Moni Fo Namo Kwan Sing Pusa Namo Kwan Sing Pusa Namo Kwan Sing Pusa Namo Ami Tofo Namo Ami Tofo Namo Ami Tofo Namo Melofo Namo Milofo Namo Milofo Namo Pusien Pusa Namo Pusien Pusa Namo Pusien Pusa Namo Tijang Wang Pusa Namo Tijang Wang Pusa Namo Tijang Wang Pusa Namo Fo Pusa Namo Fo Pusa Namo Fo Pusa Arahang Sama Sambuddho Bhagawa Buddhang Bhagawantang Abhiwademi Swakato Bhagawata Dhammo Dhammang Namasami Supatipano Bhagavato Sawakasango Sanghang Namami Okay, you all can be seated. Then turn to page one. Eh? We will do the puja chanting starting from the Vandana. Namo Atasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Atasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Atasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Uddang Saranang Gachami Dhammang Saranang Gachami Sanghang Saranang Gachami Dutiyampi Buddhang Saranang Gachami Dutiyampi Dhammang Saranang Gachami Dutiyampi Sanghang Saranang Gachami Tatiyampi Buddhang Saranang Gachami Tatiyampi Dhammang Saranang Gachami Tatiyampi Sanghang Saranang Gachami 
ปานาทิปาตาเวรมณีสิกขาพดังสมาดิยามิอาดีนาดานาเวรมณีสิกขาพดังสมาดิยามิกามิสุมิชาจาราเวรมณีสิกขาพดังสมาดิยามิมูสาวาดาเวรมณีสิกขาพดังสมาดิยามิสุราเมรายามาจาปามาดัทานะเวรมณีสิกขาพดังสมาดิยามินาวยชันดปฏิปาปุจจา offering of light กันนาสารปดิเทนะดิเพนาตามาดังสินาติโลกาดิพังสัมบุตังปุญญามิตามโนดังกันดาสัมบารายุเทนาดูเพนาหังสุกังหินาปุญญเอปุญญานิยังตังปุจาบาจานามุตมังวันนากันดาโกโนเปตังเอตังกุสุมาสันตตินปุจายามิมุนินดาสสิริปาดาสารุโรเหปุจเจมิบุตังกุสุเมนาเนนาปุณเนนะมเทนะเชโหตุโมคังปุปังมิลายาทิยาตาอิดังเมขายโยตตายาทิวินาสบาวังอาดิวาเสทุโนบันเทปานิยังปริกาพิทังอนุคัมปังอุปาดายาปฏิกันหาตุมุตมังอาดิวาเซทุโนบันเทปาเลปริกาพิทังอนุคัมปังอุปาดายาปฏิกันหาตุมุตมังอาลีวาเซทุโนบันเทโบจานังปริกาปิตังอนุคัมปังอุปาดายาปฏิกันหาตุมุตมังนาวิชันเดปฏิปาอ๋อ sorry วิวชันเดปุจจาเอสเพรชั่น based on our understanding of all this puja offering Significance of offering of light. May this offering of light to the Buddha brings forth the causes and conditions to illuminate our mind and help arise the needed clarity and understanding to dispel all darkness of ignorance. Significance of offering of water. May this offering of pure, clear, cool water lead us to the pure, clear Dhamma. That cools and doses of the fires of all departments. Significance of offering of incense. May our morality, virtue, and understanding shine forth far and wide, 
like the, the fragrance of this incense, which are offering to the Blessed One, who is perfect in wisdom and virtue. Significance of offering of fruits. May this offering of fruits remind us of the dana parami of generosity and the fruit of our karma, so that we will diligently strive on with heedfulness to attain the path and fruition as soon as possible. Significance of offering of flowers. May this constant offering of flowers to the Blessed One strengthen our faith and constantly remind us of the impermanence of this body so that we will diligently and sincerely strive on to cultivate sila, samadhi and panya leading to ultimate liberation, the bond-free nibbana. Making of overall aspiration By the power of these merits, born of these offerings, May our spiritual faculties of Sada, Virya, Sati, Samadhi, and Panya be further strengthened until they become balas or powers, sharing and transform merits with all beings. May these merits be shared and transferred to all beings without exception, especially to those who have the condition and affinity to receive them. Sadhu. Sadhu, Sadhu. Okay, let us pay respect to Triple Gem. Bedang, Pajami. Namang, Pajami. Okay, you can be seated. Just relax body and mind, and silence everything to develop the meditation. View off the light. Huh? Yeah. Then you can have half an hour of silent inner awareness meditation. For those who already have the spiritual faculty, you just relax, maintain awareness, then the silent mind will be there. If you are still dependent on the object of meditation, then you can use it to anchor your awareness. Mm. Otherwise, you can just feel around your heart area. Silent everything, relax and maintain awareness. Then it will detect eh, your true mind. When there is no more thought, the true mind will arise. Eh. Then, for most people, the gateway is towards the left of your heart. Eh. So when you feel around your heart area, if you can't detect anything, you move slightly towards the left, eh? one or two inches away. Then eh? just let things be and see how it goes. Eh? If you are really quiet, silent, 
you will detect. Mm. All those who still need to train their mind, yeah? you can continue. If you need to use the mind sweeping method to decondition your heedless thinking, then go ahead. Yeah? It's a very good, skillful means. Yeah? Mind sweeping method combined with metta, uh, loving kindness. Mm. You can radiate love and metta to yourself. Then you extend it to all beings. Then when it becomes quiet, peaceful, you go to Anapanasati to stabilize that silent mind or the quiet mind. The mind that is just aware without thought. Okay, I will let you meditate on your own. Then the alarm will ring in about 30 minutes time. Mm. Once you hear the alarm, you can slowly, mindfully come out of the meditation. Then I will ring the bell.
you can slowly mindfully come out of the meditation. Yeah. Then turn to page six. Eh? We will chant the invocation to the devas. In this universe, in their entirety, let the devas and deities come here. Let them hear the good teaching of the king of sages, which gives heaven and release Nibbana. This is the time to listen to the teaching. This is the time to listen to the teaching. This is the time to listen to the teaching. Samantha Chakawalesu Atragachan to Devata Saddamang Munirajasa Sunantu Sakamokadang Dhammasavanan Kalo Ayang Badanta Dhammasavanan Kalo Ayang Badanta Dhammasavanan Kalo Ayang Badanta Namo Atasa Bhagavato Arahato Samasambuddhasa Namo Atasa Bhagavato Arahato Samasambuddhasa Namo Atasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Iti Peso Bhagawa Arahang Sama Sambuddho Vijacarana Sampano Sugato Lokavido Anutaro Purisadamma Sarati Sata Deva Manusana Buddha Bhagavati Swakato Bhagavata Dhammo Sanditiko Akaliko Ehipaseko Opanayiko Pachyatang Veditabo Vinohiti Supatipano Bhagavato Savakasango Ujupatipano Bhagavato Savakasango Nyaya Patipano Bhagavato Savakasango Samichi Patipano Bhagavato Savakasango Yadidang Chatari Purisa Yukani Atta Purisa Pugala Esa Bhagavato Sawakasango Ahuneyo Pahuneyo Dakeneyo 
Anjali Karani Punya Ketang Lokasati Sadu 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 Okay, let us pay respect to Pajam. Bedang Pajami Damang Pajami Sanghang Pajami Okay You can be seated Yeah, yeah. I think today we can continue from where we stop huh? We were at page 456, yeah. So, page 456, huh? we are at chapter 29. Huh? We continue from where we start, eh? the soul theory. A few centuries ago, it was argued <coughs> Kogito Agosam. The meaning is, I think, therefore I am. True, but first, it has to be proven that there is an I or the ego or entity to think. We say that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, although we know that actually it is not so. We have to admit that one cannot strike an identical place twice, although to all appearances one has done so. So all these are actually part of what they call uh, knowledge. Eh? You use your knowledge, you tend to have this logic behind. So people have this, what they call logical mind. So when they say the sun rises from the east, it appears very logical. Eh? Every morning, yeah, you see the sun is always from the east. Yeah, it arises. Then it appears like towards the evening, it was set in the west. But for those who understand science or geography, yeah, you will know the sun never rises and it never sets. Yeah. It's just our earth which rotate on its own axis. Eh? So because the earth rotate on its own axis, every revolution is 24 hours. That's why you have this day and night eh? being manifest eh? through this uh, earth rotation. And we rotate in space and time on its own axis. 
then the sun is like the center around which the planet rotates or moves. So we got many planets eh, in our solar system. But as a whole, the sun together with the planet, it also has its own movement. Do you understand? Within space and time. So the larger force that governs the whole movement will decide how all this planetary system will move. Then, of course, there are other uh, entities within space and time. So as we move, we also move in a very systematic way. Uh, but then in space, and as you travel through space, there are a lot of these what they call particles or even asteroids yeah? or we call it meteor. Yeah? All these are the foreign uh, objects in space. Yeah? They can be due to a very distant collapse of stars or they call supernova, the sudden burst. When the sun is about, or the star is about to die, they call it the supernova. It will burst into a very, very powerful uh, light formation. Then all of a sudden, the immense star or immense uh, energy, they will collapse into a neutron star or a dead star that's how it formed the black hole it becomes so dense the density is such that the escape velocity exceeds the speed of light that's why no light can even escape from that uh, what they call neutron star or the collapsed star mm. so all these two signs we have discovered them. So when we use logic on earth, on whatever we perceive, we have to be careful because these are logic, these are not facts, these are not truth. Uh, then like the first sentence, uh, people have this uh, so-called idea, uh, I don't call it understanding because to them, they believe thought is real. There's a thinker behind. Otherwise, thought cannot arise. So, I appear very logical. Eh? Without the thinker, how can it arise thought? So, people tend to have that belief because of logic. So, that's why they came out with the statement, I think, therefore I am. If you have not developed the meditation, you will not be able to understand this statement. Then you will tend to use your thought to think. Then you believe you exist. There is a thinker behind the thought. Otherwise, how can the thought arise? Logical or not? Huh? Very logical. <laughs> so, without the thinker, how can the thought arise? But you never go into the detail. What is thought? 
when you silence your mind, when you are able to develop the awareness, you come to understand something very differently. You don't need a thinker, and there is no thinker at all. Then you can use your understanding through what they call direct personal experience. Uh, sometimes you can use some understanding to come to that conclusion too. Especially when people have not developed their clear awareness. Then they cannot have the ability to see how thought arise. How thought from memory arise. That's why for those who understand, they see very clearly. Without memory, thought doesn't arise. And thought is always respond to memory. So you need memory for thought to arise. That's why our brain is an organ. But apart from brain, you also need consciousness. That's why avijapatya sankara means when there is ignorance. That ignorance is the condition behind the arising of thinking, sankara. So ignorance condition mental activity because the mind, the mundane mind that doesn't have the wisdom and the understanding, it will start to create a movement. And the movement comes from what? That memory. So because there is memory, then this mundane mind, the consciousness, it goes there. That's why if you were to observe, most of the time, before you know how to meditate, before you develop the mindfulness or the awareness, where is your attention? Yeah. Where do you put your attention? It's always at your forehead, isn't it? The brain there is there. That's why from there you see, from there you hear, you smell, you taste, you tactile feel, and the thought arise. And how come it's up there, the brain there? And that is the reason why all our senses are all in front, set in the head, in front. That's why nature has its own way of evolving. So these senses, they are very near your brain. So upon contact, a lot of things will happen. Simultaneously, it will move. But without awareness, you cannot see. You cannot understand. The moment the content of consciousness went in, before that, there is this movement. Your views, opinion, conditioning that you accumulate through your what they call life experiences. All of your experiences, good and bad, things that you go through, you accumulate them in your brain. That's why your phobia, your fear, your insecurity, your unhappiness, your sorrow, your lamentation, and sometimes even your happy moments, you accumulate them as memory. Then all this memory, they start to condition you. 
Then you start to acquire what they call views and opinion and belief system. Your environment condition you. The people whom you are with condition you. Then now with our society, our civilization, you will have a lot of uh, what they call nowadays is mainly IT technology. Uh, all this have an influence on your life. It will also mold your thinking, mold your belief system. Mm. Like in the olden days, we have this what they call radio. Eh? Then we have television. Then later on, we have this multimedia thing. Yeah. Then nowadays, we have this handphone. <laughs> Even more sophisticated than the telephone. Uh, so the telephone was a very old technology. Uh, earlier on, it's just Morse code. Huh? Then we have the fax machine. The fax machine is like already something very, very, uh, very advanced and very sophisticated. Because as an engineer, for me, the fax machine was really something uh, extraordinary. I don't have to every time go to the work site. So in the past, we don't have uh, what they call email and other things or handphone. So how do we communicate? We either send letter, we take a few days, uh, or we make a phone call. Yeah? If that site no line, we cannot make phone call. We will have to use telex. Then they send the message there. Then if that site got line. Phone call, you cannot see the picture or the drawing or the plans. So it's very difficult to communicate uh, so using words. But with the facts, I can just draw it in my office. Yeah? Then I can actually make a photo stack copy or I cut it out. Then I can fax it through. Then they will see the exact copy over the other side. Then they will know what the instruction is. Of course, the written one also there, the drawing also there. So everything is there. So for us, it was good enough. But nowadays, even more advanced, more sophisticated. Now you can WhatsApp. And nowadays, I realize it's different from my time. My time, for us, our man hours are more expensive. Because as an engineer, eh, as top management. So we have secretary, we have stenographer. So when I was working eh, uh, in one of these uh, statutory body, eh, I had one secretary, two stenographer. Then I got a lot of stuff under me. I got 800 of stuff under me. Eh. So because of that, I depend on my secretary to do the secretarial work and everything. Then my stenographer will take through shorthand and type my letter eh, and help me to do the filing and all those things. So that was the way we go about doing things. 
But nowadays it's different. Yeah. I was told you alone have to do everything because the email is so convenient. Yeah. So now it seems they do video conference. All the meeting is no more you must be at the office or meeting room. They can actually link you up through video conference. Uh, that's why I saw my son, uh, even my daughter. Oh. Every day, uh, you can never imagine the amount of work they do. During my time, uh, everything was so slow. Uh, like one day, uh, if I can get about five to ten letters type out uh, and I send, uh, I consider myself very efficient. Then if I receive a few letters, that is about one day's work like that. But nowadays it seems one day for work alone, not private, they can have about a few hundred to a thousand plus email and messages. And the way they have to reply and interact and the whole meeting, uh, I don't know whether still got minutes or not. I don't think there's any more minutes. Uh, yeah. Still got minutes. Uh. Actually, huh? got a? Uh? Oh. Oh, still got minutes. Uh. Somebody write the minutes. Uh. Oh, okay. Because so many meetings, uh, to read minutes, uh, you also don't have time. Uh. But, I realize for my son, they all, I don't think they have minutes. They 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 have this what they call uh, WhatsApp thing, yeah. and they have a lot of messages coming that you need to take action on. Yeah. Then they will fix. Okay. By what time? Half an hour's time, we will have a video conference, yeah. and two hours later, we will have another one. Oh. As you do your work, you update, and it involves so many people, not you alone. Then sometimes they want to bid for tenders and all those things, eh? or submission and all those things. They, they really work through the night, non-stop. Eh? Sometimes not enough rest. Eh? Yeah. So a lot of these things has changed, revolutionized the way we do things. So what I'm trying to get you to understand is, you need to think out of the box. You need to combine meditative understanding with what you perceive and see with your senses. Uh, especially the thought process is not easy. Uh, even the scientists, they don't quite understand the thought process. They may have a lot of information about the biological activity of our physical body. Uh, but when it comes to consciousness, they can only measure the vibration, the wave, and all those things. They don't understand what thought is, what consciousness is, what awareness is. They don't have any uh, clear idea. Mm. To them, everything is consciousness. And the mind, they can never understand that there are two minds. The mundane mind, the thinking mind, and the true mind with the pure awareness. They cannot understand. The awareness part is what science is lacking. Yeah. Then the thought process also, 
they can't understand much. Mm. So because of that, humanity, they were very advanced in the thought process. You understand why? Why are they so advanced in the thought process? Because they need the thought to progress along the technological field. That's why technology went ahead, way ahead. And all this involved thinking, thought. They give it the name like innovation and all those things. But these are not creativity. You understand? Creativity is different. Creativity involves talent, involves special understanding. And creativity, a person who is creative, don't have much thought. They are most of the time silent. And through that, they are aware. And their minds are different. Whereas scientists, technical people, they think a lot. But thought is a good instrument for technological advancement. That's why our technological advancement has given rise to a distortion in our planetary consciousness. You know the distortion is because thought has taken over. So nowadays, if you have willpower, if you use your thought, and direct your thought appropriately, correctly, you can come up with a lot of new advancement that can enable you to become very famous, very popular, and make a lot of money too. That's why technology is being emphasized in the education system, in the technological field. And you compete based on what they call uh, competition, competition. So they look at your uh, grades. Yeah? Then they grade you through what? Through your ability to pass exam. <laughs> and all this is what technological people make use of to select those who can actually help them to build up all this understanding. So through all this, we have a great distortion in our planetary consciousness. So the one that develop wisdom, understanding and creativity, this group of people has been sidelined. And only spiritual people goes into the Consciousness field, awareness field. And most of these spiritual people, they don't like technical. But there are some who has both. Like for me, it's because of my nature that understand all this. That's why it comes with the technological understanding that yet it has its past. And it loves the spiritual field too. And when you combine these two, you become very different. Very different. So coming back to what this topic is all about, eh? we will continue to read on that you will understand. Eh? Now we are at paragraph 3, eh? page 4, 5, 6. 
So everything changes so soon. For no two moments are identically the same. Like a flowing river. Yeah? You, you can never stop that flow. You understand? Yeah. At any one point when you dip your finger into it, that moment and the subsequent moment when you dip your finger is different. Even when your finger is still there with the stream of water flowing through, every moment is different. Mm. Then the commentary from the author say, Buddhists agree with Bertram Russell when he say, uh, you know who is Bertram Russell? Huh? I have described him before. He is the greatest religious critic. He criticized every religion. Especially Christianity. Oh, he after he has gone through with the Christian people, he he wrote a book. Why I am not a Christian? It's a very famous book. He's a professor, and he was a Christian. Uh, but when he became the professor, he analyzed the Bible. He analyzed a lot. No? So he 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 criticized every religion. Yeah. But he does make certain statement which is very good. He said of all the religions, he said, the one that is most harmless is Buddhism. The rest of the religion are all very violent. He said. <laughs> very, very violent. And he has this good reason for saying all this. So this part, I don't know what does the author eh, uh, extract from his philosophy of his book. Huh? We read through. Uh, we see what is extracted. So Buddhists agree better Russell when he say there is obviously some reason in which I am the same person as I was yesterday. And to take an even more obvious example, if I simultaneously see a man and hear him speaking, there is some sense in which that I that see is the same as the I that hears. Yeah. Until recently, scientists believe in an indivisible and indestructible atom. For sufficient reason, physicists have reduced this atom to a series of events for equally good reason, psychologists finds that mind has not the identity of a single continuing thing, but is a series of occurrences bound together by certain intimate relations. The question of immortality, therefore, has become the question whether this intimate relation exists between occurrences connected with a living body and other occurrences which takes place after that body is dead. S C E M how to pronounce this word Jota says in the meaning of life. Matter has since disintegrated under our very eyes. It is no longer solid, it is no longer enduring, it is no longer determined by compulsive law. And more important than all, it is no longer known. 
The so-called atom, it seems, are both divisible and indestructible. Sorry, and destructible. The electrons, the protons that compose atoms can meet and annihilate one another, while their persistence, such as it is, and in the process of continual change, both as regards shape and position, than that of a thing. Then Bishop Buckley, who showed that this so-called atom was a metaphysic, metaphysical fiction, held that there exists a spiritual substance called a soul. Hume, in his search after a soul, declares, There are some philosophers who imagine we are every moment intimately conscious of what we call ourselves, that we feel its existence and its continuance in existence, and are certain beyond the evidence of a demonstration, both of its perfect identity and simplicity. For my part, when I enter most intimately into what I call self, I always stumble on some particular perception or other of heat or cold, light or shade, love or hate, pain and or pleasure. I never can catch myself at any one time without a perception and never can perceive or sorry, can observe anything but only the perception. Then Bergson says all consciousness is time existent and a conscious state is not a state that endure without changing it is change sorry it change without ceasing when change ceases it ceases it is itself nothing but change then Watson, a distinguished psychologist, states, No one has ever touched a soul or has seen one in a, text, in a test tube or has in any way come into relationship with it as he has with the other object of his daily experience. Nevertheless, to doubt his existence is to become a heretic. And once might possibly even have led to the loss of one's head. Even today, a man holding a public position dare not question it. Then dealing with the question of soul, there is this Professor James. Eh? He writes, The soul theory is a complete superfluity so far as according for the actually verified facts of conscious experience goes. So far, no one can be compelled to subscribe to it for definite scientific reason. This me is an empirical aggregate of things objectively known. The I, which knows them, cannot itself be an aggregate, neither for psychological purpose, need it be considered 
to be an unchanging metaphysical entity like the soul, or a principle like the pure ego view as out of time. It is a thought at each moment different from that of the last moment, but appropriative of the later. Together with all that, the later calls it call its own. All the experimental facts find their place in this description unencumbered with any hypothesis save that the existence of passing through sorry, passing thoughts or states of mind. He concludes his interesting chapter on the soul with the words and in this book the provisional solution which we have reached must be the final word. The thought themselves are the thinker. So this guy is not bad. The thought thing itself. Uh, uh, he is correct, you know. You understand? Thought is respond to memory. Eh? So the thought arises by itself to respond to memory. That's why the thought thing itself, there is no thinker. The thought is the process of that uh, respond from memory. Yeah. But they cannot see it unless you are aware. Yeah. Then you will see the whole formation, how thought is being created. Yeah. That's why you will come to understand to why a newborn baby cannot have thought. <laughs> you know why? Their brain is without memory. That's why they cannot create thought. You have to let them grow up. Yeah? Then through the conditioning, they learn things. And when they learn things, they accumulate as memory. And through memory, they create thought. That's why they can speak, they can communicate. Then they can understand thought. They can also create their own thought. Mm. Okay, we continue. And this is an echo of the very words of the Buddha from 2,500 years ago in the valley of the Ganges. Actually, they draw this conclusion. uh, The thought themselves are the thinker. They draw this conclusion uh, not through meditation. Do you know that? Do you know how they draw the conclusion? uh, what did the Buddha teach? Anicantuka anatta. So anatta is non-self. Understand? So they believe what the Buddha says. There is nobody inside there. There is no soul. So there is nobody inside there. That's why they draw the conclusion that this thought, there is no thinker behind. So this thought things itself. Yeah. That's how they draw the con not through meditative experience or awareness to see it. Yeah. And they draw that conclusion because Buddhists have this very strong faith in the Buddha and his teaching. So to them they say if it's non self, how can there be a thinker? Understand? Yeah. But they don't understand that thought itself is subject to karma because 
the thought arise through a type of conditioning. It's respond to memory, but the content that went in actually come from that mundane mind, which is so conditioned. So if that mind doesn't have wisdom, it will input the wrong thought. Means the content of consciousness that has the evil roots of greed, hatred, and delusion, born of self-delusion. Yeah. Because that conscious thought is egoic. Yeah. It tends to cling and hold. Yeah. And the Buddha, through his realization after the meditative experience, he came to know that thought can be subdivided into the five aggregates, yeah, the five mental aggregates. Yeah. And these five aggregates, the way the Buddha actually formulated the teaching, the understanding is very beautiful, really very beautiful. And they are so easy for meditator or cultivator who really know how to meditate to understand. Hmm. Okay, we read on. Eh? Buddhism teaching a psychological, oh sorry, teaching a psychology without a psyche resolve the living being into mind and matter, means namarupa, eh? form and mind, which are in a state of constant flux. In the ancient day, the Indian sages too believed in an invisible atom which they call Paramatnu. According to ancient belief, 36 Paramatnu constitute one Anu, 36 Anu, one Tajari, 36 Tajari, one Rattarinu. The minute particle of dust seen dancing in the, sub, the sun's beam are called Rattarinu. One paramatno is therefore one over forty six thousand six hundred fifty six part of a Rattareno. With his supernormal vision, the Buddha analyzed the paramatno and declared that paramatno consists of an interrelated forces called paramatas or essential of matter. These paramata are partavi, apo. Dejo and Wayo, the four elements. Patavi means the element of extension, the substratum of matter. Without it, object cannot occupy space. The qualities of hardness and softness, which are relative, are two conditions of this same element. Apo is the element of cohesion. Unlike Patavi, it is intangible. It is this element which makes the scan sorry, the scattered atom of matter cohere and gives us the idea of body. When solid bodies are melted, this element becomes more prominent in the resulting fluid. This element is found even in minute particles. When solid body are reduced to powder, 
the elements of extension and cohesion are so closely interrelated that when cohesion ceases, extension disappears. Tejo is the element of heat. Coal is also a form of Tejo. Both heat and coal are included in Tejo because they possess the power of maturing bodies, or in other words, it is the vitalizing energy, preservation, and decay are due to this element. Unlike the other three essential of matter, this element, also called Utu, has the power to regenerate by itself. Wire is the element of motion. Uh, most people call it the wind element. Movement are caused by this element. Motion is regarded as the force or the generator of heat. Uh, motion and heat in the metal rhyme or material rhyme correspond res- respectively to consciousness and karma in the mental. These four are the fundamental units of matter and are invariably combined into the four derivative names, namely color, order, taste, and nutritive essence. The four elements and the derivative are inseparable and interrelated, but one element may preponderate over another. As for instance, the element of extension Preponderates in earth, cohesion in water, heat in fire, and motion in air. Thus, matter consists of forces and qualities which are in the state of constant flux. According to Buddhism, matter endures only for 17 thought moments. That's why thought is matter. You understand? <laughs> Mind, the more important part is a complex machinery of man. Consists of 52 mental states. Feeling or sensation, Vedana is one. Perception, Sanya is another. The remaining 50 are collectively called volitional activity, Sankara. Actually, Sankara is mental state, not volitional activity. A rendering which does not exactly convey the meaning of the palitum. Of them, volition or chatena is the most important factor. All these psychic so sorry, all these psychic states arise in a consciousness. According to Buddhist philosophy, there is no moment when one does not experience a particular kind of consciousness hanging on to some object, whether physical or mental. The time limit of such a consciousness is the one thought moment. Each thought moment is followed by another. Thus, the succession of mental states consists, sorry, contains a time element. The rapidity of the succession of such thought moment is hardly conceivable. Each unit of consciousness consists of three instant kana. They are arising or genesis, upada, static or development, titi, and cessation or dissolution, 
Baga. Banga. Immediately after the cessation stage of a thought moment, there occurs the genesis stage of the subsequent thought moment. Each momentary consciousness of this ever-changing life process or passing away transmits its whole energy, all the indelible recorded imprints or impressions to its successor. Every fresh consciousness consists of the potentiality of its predecessor together with something more. There is therefore a continuous flow of consciousness like a stream without any interruption. The subsequent thought moment is neither absolutely the same as its predecessor, since its composition is not identical nor entirely different, being the same stream of life. Therefore, it is not identical being, but there is an identity in process. It must not be understood that consciousness is in bits, joined together by a train or a chain. On the contrary, it constantly flows on like a river receiving from the tributary streams of sense constant accretions to its flood and ever dispensing to the world around. It is the thought stuff it has gathered by the way. It has birth for its source and death for its mouth. Here occur a juntaposition of fleeting states of consciousness, but not a superposition of such states as some appear to believe. No state once gone ever recur, none absolutely identical with what goes before. These states constantly change, not remaining the same for two consecutive moments. Whirling and mass in the web of illusion mistake this apparent continuity to be something eternal and go to the extent of introducing an unchanging soul, the supposed doer and observer of all action, into this ever-changing consciousness. The four kinds of psychic phenomena combined with the physical phenomena form the five aggregates, panchakandas, the complex compound term a living being. One individuality is the combination of these five aggregates. We see a vast expanse of water in the sea, but the water of the ocean consists of countless drops an infinite number of particles of sense constitute the sea beach, but it appears as one long sh- shed. Waves arise and dash against the shore, but strictly speaking, no single wave comes from the deep blue sea to lose its identity on the shore. In the cinematograph, we see a moving scene, but to represent that motion, a series of momentary pictures must appear on the screen. One cannot say that the perfume of a flower depends on the petal or on the pistol or on the color, for the perfume is in the flower. In the same way, one's individuality is the combination of all the five aggregates. The whole process of this 
psychophysical phenomenon which are constantly becoming and passing away is at time called in conventional term the self or atta by the Buddha but it is a process and not an identity that is tastam. Buddhism does not totally deny the existence of a personality in an empirical sense. It denies in the ultimate sense paramatta, sachana, an identical being or a permanent entity, but it does not deny a continuity in process. The Buddhist philosophical term of an individual is santati, that is, a flux or continuity. This uninterrupted flux or continuity of psychophysical phenomena conditioned by karma having no perceptible source is the beginning in the beginningless past, nor any end to its continuation in the future except by the noble evil power is the Buddhist substitute or the permanent ego or eternal soul in other religious systems. How is a rebirth possible without a soul to be reborn? Birth, according to Buddhism, is the arising of the khandhas, the aggregates or group they call khandana patubhavo. Just as the arising of a physical state is conditioned by the preceding state as its cause, so the appearance of this psychophysical phenomena is conditioned by causes anterior to its birth. The present process is sorry, the present process of becoming is the result of the craving for becoming in the previous birth and the present instinctive craving condition life in the future. As the process of one lifespan is possible without a permanent entity passing from one thought moment to another. So a series of life processes is possible without anything to transmigrate from one existence to another. The Buddhist doctrine of rebirth should be differentiated from the theory of reincarnation, which implies the transmigration of a soul and its invariable material rebirth. So this one is clearly uh, to let you know that those who believe in the transmigration, uh, especially the Tibetan aspect, uh, that is not in the Buddhist teaching. Uh, actually, nothing transmigrate. It's only pure rebirth following law of karma. Uh, in the Melinda, Pangha, and Visuddhimagga, the Venerable Nagasena and Buddha Gosa have explored or has employed several similes to illustrate the truth that nothing transmigrates from one life to another. Uh, so this one, the simile of a flame is a very striking one. Life is compared to a flame. Rebirth is the transmitting of the flame from one group to another. 
The flame of life is continuous, although there is an apparent break, as so-called death. Okay, I think we stop here. Stop here. Page 465. The King Melendez question we will go through maybe uh, next week. Okay. So after reading all the so-called argument of the author, I still don't quite get what he's trying to tell me. (laughs) Do you understand what he's trying to tell you? But an easier way to understand the teaching is forget about what he say. We develop understanding through our own meditative experience. That is the best. So you can recall. What did I share with you? What is a human being? What is a living being? We, we we go through again. Yeah, I use the white button. It's like coming back to the question is like who are you? What are you? Huh? Let us focus on the human being first. Huh? The form and mind. So this one is the human being. So as a human being, what do you have? You have a physical body. I use another color. You have a consciousness trapped inside. Then you have this physical body. So the Buddha called this the form, the physical form, or in Pali is the rupa. And this consciousness is the mind, yeah, mind. And the Buddha call it Nama. Actually, Nama in Malay is name. So sometimes they use the word name and form. Actually, it's form and mind. So these two combined is the human being. The form and the mind. The mind, the Buddha subdivide into four aggregates. So the four aggregates, the first one is the aggregate of feeling, eh? or Vedana. Eh? Then Sanya, or perception. And the third one is Sankara, eh? or mental states. Then the last one is consciousness, or Vijnana. So these are the four aggregates.
So 4 plus 1 form aggregate becomes the 5 aggregate. So this one is the 5 aggregates of form MI. So if you understand it this way as per what the Buddha had taught you, it's easier to understand. So basically the Buddha said, as a human being, you only have this five aggregate, nothing else. Because the mind is very complicated, very difficult for you to understand. So what he did was, he subdivided into four aggregate. And to understand this four aggregate is very easy. You only have to inquire, what can your mind do? What can your mind do as a human being? First one is feeling, isn't it? You can feel, isn't it? Hot or glow, cold, pleasant, unpleasant, all this, you can feel them. So this is an important aggregate. One of the properties of our mind, our mind can feel. Then the other very powerful property is what? How do you know things? Your mind can? Your mind can perceive it. <laughs> Whatever you come to know is from perception. Isn't Your seeing, consciousness can perceive what you see. All of the vision within your seeing consciousness. All of the physical thing in nature color, shape, and form. You can perceive them. And because you can perceive them, you can create words, concept, accumulate them as memory, become knowledge. That's what perception is all about. Then Sankara, this one is most powerful. This is actually everything that your mind can do. It includes the feeling and perception aggregate. And these two, the Buddha separate it out because he has a very important reason why he separate it out. But this feeling later on when you do the four foundation of mindfulness, you, you need to have this separated because mindfulness of feeling. Yeah. Then this perception is the one that brings the external form into the mind. That's why it has to be separated out. Otherwise, it's just Sankara and Consciousness. Sankara means everything that your mind can do, including feeling and perception. What can your mind do? It can arise. Mental states, isn't it? You, you can feel like peaceful, calm, or restless, agitated. Yeah. Or your mind is very calm, very still, or in a state of restlessness, agitated. Then the sorrow, the lamentation, the anger, the hatred, the envy, the, all these are mental states. Then when you meditate, that joy inside you, that metal inside you, all these are mental states. Then apart from all these mental states, your mind can also create one. Your mind can create one. Thinking, isn't it? You think a lot, isn't it? Not? Through the brain, thought is respond to memory. Thinking arises, isn't it? Thought arises, isn't it? 
And all these thoughts are what they call mental activity, mental thinking, your planning, your scheming, your whatever movement inside there. Understand? That's why the English word, they have to come up with so many words. Mental states, mental activity, mental volition. Yeah. You know what is volition? Huh? Yeah? Your intention, understand? Huh? Yeah. Then you got mental formation. It can create images inside there, understand? Huh? That's why you can dream. So all these are sankara. Everything that your mind can do. Then the last property is your mind can become conscious. Conscious of what you see. Conscious of what you hear, smell, taste, tactile, feel and think. And this is what you are. Apart from this, there is nothing else you can add. The sight of Buddha is very, very wise. He breaks it into four aggregates so that you understand what this mind is all about. And this one he is referring to the mundane mind. The mundane mind has this content, this tree. Actually, the main thing is Sankara. Everything that your mind can do. That is the content of consciousness. And this one goes in with your volition, mental intention. That's why the quality of consciousness depends on your wisdom and understanding. If you don't have wisdom, if you are not enlightened, you will have self-delusion. You will have negativity of content of consciousness. That's why the evil roots are there. So it will condition your negativity of mind state. And it will make you evil. That's why all these thought process that arise, you can hardly have right thought. Right thought according to the individual. Not the real right thought. Born of wisdom, right view, right understanding. Yeah. So, this four combined with the physical body is the human being. Understand? And if you were to analyze each and every one of these, the Buddha said, they are all impermanent. Because they are impermanent, they will condition suffering if you want things your way, not following nature's way. Because all this aggregate goes the way of nature. Especially the mental aggregate depend on your understanding and your wisdom. If you lack understanding, you want the feeling to be permanent, forever good feeling, no more unpleasant or bad feeling or painful feeling, you will suffer. Your nature doesn't allow that, understand? Feeling is dependent originating, condition arising. Condition different, feeling will be different. That's why you cannot tell the feeling, don't change. Forever, pleasant, good feeling, joy, happiness, cannot. Well, these are all condition arising entity, dependent originating. They are not a permanent unchanging entity that you can hold on to, cling on to, cross on to and say, this is me, this is I. And this is what the Buddha meant by anatta in that sense. But the Buddha never denied there is a human being. You understand? And this human being is not you. 
Do you understand? This is comically conditioned. This human being is nowhere to write. Huh? <laughs> How to draw it down? Okay, I draw a circle. Oh, sorry, not a circle. I use this. Okay. So this human being, yeah, the Buddha say exists, but it's not you. So this human being is comically comically conditioned. For our nature, to arise in this existential world. And this one is not you, Anasana. It exists, but it's not you. That's why there is such a thing as a human being. And this one is also subject to karma. Even though not you, but connected to your nature. Because your nature needs this. This is the vehicle and the tool for you to come to this existential world. So I better put here. Huh? Vehicle. And to the physical body is like a vehicle. Eh? This physical body is your vehicle, and this mind is your tool. The physical body is like a car, a vehicle. Wherever you want to go, it takes you there. You understand? That's why it's like a vehicle. And this mind is like a tool for you to use to come to this world, to live life, to experience life, to cultivate, to meditate, and also at the same time to experience karma.
That's why it's a tool, like a knife. You use it. So do not be deceived and deluded by it. They are vehicle and tool for you to come to use. And this is subject to karma. You cannot simply use it. You cannot simply do what you like. Where you violate the law of karma, it has its karmic consequence. That's why this one will decide your life. You have to understand that this human being is not you, but it exists. Not you in the sense that it's not a permanent, unchanging entity. That you can call, this is me, this is I. Therefore, all this can be mine. So his teaching is very different from what the author is trying to tell you. The author describes a lot of things, but I cannot understand what he is trying to conclude. He is trying to use words and maybe justify what he believes to be the Buddha's teaching. But the real Buddha's teaching is just this. This human being is one aspect of a living being. Because we are born as a living being, that's why we focus on this. If you understand this, you understand all living beings. They are the same. It's also five aggregate, form a mind. No different. And this five aggregate, you can investigate into it. The physical body, without the consciousness, definitely is not you. True or not? Element only, understand, the four elements. It goes the way of nature. So how can it be you? But because of the consciousness, it comes together, it animates and manifests into a human being. It has life, understand? Because of the consciousness, the karmic force, the three conditions that give rise to life, it has a functional physical body, a consciousness, and the life force, coming force. These three sustain life and animate this human being. But any of the three conditions that support its existence cease, this will cease to be. That's why this one is dependent originating, condition arising, cause of a norm, not a permanent unchanging entity. You cannot say, this is me, this is I. This one will continue to evolve. This one will continue to grow old, get sick and die. But this is not you. That's why no one die, no one born. No one sick, no one old. With that understanding, your mind free, liberates from this form of mind. Without that wisdom and understanding, you cannot liberate and you cannot understand. Is it clear? Yeah, use the mic, eh, Jay? Yeah. Please correct me if I'm yeah. wrong. Okay. I understand this, this yeah. thing about the, uh, you know, the form and mind yeah, yeah. As, you, as you have put yeah, it, yeah. subject to law of karma and yeah, all that. Yeah. And you're talking about the four aggregates, feeling, perception, yeah, yeah, sakara, yeah. and consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Consciousness, as you, disc- as you mm. mentioned it, mm. relates to the mundane mind. But to me, mm. I all, that's the part I don't mm. know how, I, how you uh. look at it. 
I uh, always think of conscious at two uh, levels. Uh, the first level is the uh, mundane mind. Uh, the second level, which is the higher one, when you uh, talk about no, uh, no one born, no uh, one died, etc., uh, etc., uh, et uh, is that true mind. So uh, that true mind is different. That true mind is actually nothing to do with the mundane mind. The yeah. mundane mind is a byproduct. So where it's dependent originating. The true mind cannot come out and live life. I already told you. That's why it's beyond life, beyond form, beyond everything. That's why it is so not. It's not from the conditioned world. Yeah. But you need but it to awaken. You need it to insight into phenomena. It is always silent, without thought, without anything. But that silent mind, which is the true mind, the awareness, it has the power to insight into phenomena and awaken. Awaken that wisdom. So can I still think of it in my own... You see, in the teaching, we will say there are two minds. But as far as the fire aggregate is concerned, it's the mundane mind. That's it. But this mundane mind, you need that consciousness. You understand? And this consciousness is like a power source. So upon contact with any of the senses, like the physics experiment, the light bulb will light up. Then it will become conscious. Conscious of what? Conscious of what you see. What you hear, what you smell, what you taste, what you tactile feel. But this form of mind, once it's awakened, enlightened, connected to the wisdom, you know what will happen or not? This wisdom that is connected will no longer be deluded. Because of that wisdom, the form of mind no longer deluded, that at the moment of consciousness, all this aggregate become pure aggregate. Feeling become pure feeling. No more grasping. You understand? Perception become pure perception. No more grasping. No more interference from your conditioned mind to tell you this and that. Sankara also become pure activity of mind and mental states. Consciousness, the pure consciousness, all this become non-grasping. Once the wisdom is connected. And this is still within the existential world. But this, they call it the supramundane consciousness. You understand? It's still a mind. But supramundane, non-grasping. The other one is mundane, still grasping. But the true mind is the unconditioned. You cannot talk about it. You cannot mix the two together. But when you come to meditation... You need that mind. And that mind can only be perceived or aware of when your thought ceases. When your mundane aggregate of feeling, perception, and sankara stop, completely stop. When there is no more activity, no more movement. It's just aware. But through the awareness, any contact, it will be able to know. That's why I say when you meditate in a silent mind, what must you do? Just aware. Aware. Don't try to know. Aware and move. Aware. Keep on aware inside. Until this movement slow down. And finally everything still. 
the furthest you should go is aware that perceive. After that, don't continue. Understand? If you aware, perceive, and continue, it creates thought. It creates the proliferation of thought. Then the Monday mind start again. The heedless thinking start again. The activity start again. But to live life, you need the Monday mind. Okay? The aspect is very important. So if you understand it this way, then you can understand the Buddha's teaching very clearly. Don't have to go into all those things. But when you have the mindfulness and the awareness, you will understand clearly what he means. All these four aggregates. You can be at the moment of feeling, at the moment of perception, at the moment of Sankara activity and consciousness. Your awareness can be there, moment to moment. And it will not move, because it's non-grasping. That's why it can be at the moment of feeling, and that feeling is just pure feeling. It will not move. Everything is so clear during that time. Without this mindfulness to develop the wisdom and the understanding and the awakening, the silent mind, you can never understand the Buddha's true teaching. Your mind cannot liberate. It cannot transform. Then the phenomenal of consciousness will continue to have power over you, continue to deceive, delude, and haunt you. Then you will have this grasping aggregate that will grasp and cling onto everything that arises, thinking that they are real, thinking that they exist. Even your own form and mind, you believe you exist as an entity, as a human being, <laughs> because you are so conditioned since birth. You are given a name, an identity, a birthright. Then later on, an IC card. Then later on, a passport. And they identify you in so many ways. They even identify you through your physical appearance, whether you are male or female, whether you are Chinese or what race. Then your religious background, your belief system, and all those things. They identify you. Then later on, through your job scope and all those things, your career, they identify you. Then when you get married, they also identify you. Yeah, you are the spouse. You are the father. And then later on, you are the grandfather or grandparents. That's why they identify you at every stage of your life. And through this identifying identification. You create the sense of self, the ego, the personality, without you knowing it, and you are so conditioned that every arising of the mundane mind, the thought consciousness, is egoic. It's always the egoic entity inside there identifying yourself. Then when you hear something, if there is somebody who speak against you or Identify your name or whatever. You you can be agitated or disturbed because you have feeling, and your feeling 
is a conditioned feeling because of your egoic mind. That's why identification with form, with the five aggregate of form and mind, is the cause of suffering. That's why the Buddha said, in short, it is due to your self-delusion that cling, grasp and attach to this five aggregate of form and mind that he calls suffering. The Upadana Khandas, the grasping aggregate, is suffering. And it's so easy to understand, so clear. You attach to the physical body, you suffer. Why? You worry about it getting sick, getting old, and one day die. Yeah, you think it's you, real. You identify with feeling, you will sure suffer. Why? Where you cling on to pleasant feeling, good feeling. You doesn't want the painful feeling, the unpleasant feeling, associated with disease, with mental suffering, sorrow and lamentation, the envy, the jealousy, the stress, the unhappiness. So all this is what? Attachment is all about. Then perception also same. If you attach to perception, you only want good perception. When the perception is negative, condition your unhappiness. Or through perception, you recall your phobia, your scars of memory, your unhappy past. Uh, again, this perception creates suffering, sorrow and lamentation. So again, if you attach to perception, you will suffer. Whatever you come to perceive, you will have this, what they call mental discrimination. Your duality will arise. Whether you like that perception, that thing that you perceive or not. Then Sankara also same. When you think of happy thing, of course, sometimes you can have a little bit of joy and happiness. But when you attach to Sankara, you have big problem. Well, when you have problems in life, you will arise that thinking. You worry. It will give rise to thought projection, fear, worry, anxiety, sorrow and lamentation. That's why Sankara creates suffering when you attach, when you cling. If you understand that these are all unreal, impermanent, dependent originating, condition arising, then with the right view, you start to understand what constitutes right thought, right speech, right action. Then the noble eightfold path falls into place. And when the noble eightfold path falls into place, the form and mind become beautiful. Then you will have no more negativity incapable of negativity. You will have right view leading to right thought, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Then you will constantly know how to put into practice the four right effort. Then with the right mindfulness and right samadhi, you can awaken. You can see things as they are. You can develop the awakening leading to the wisdom and the understanding of life. 
then everything will fall into place. Yeah. And when this happens, you you will get to experience the third phase of Dhamma. The Buddha call it Pati Veda. Uh, this is the most beautiful phase in your life. So the three phases of Dhamma are very, very beautiful. First phase is, of course, the learning of the teaching. They call it uh, Pariyati. You learn the teaching. Then phase two is the challenge, the hard work. You put it into practice. After you have understood the teaching, you put it into practice. You cultivate it in real life. Then when you connect, awaken, then you get to live the third phase of Dhamma. You get to reap the fruit of your hard work. Then you get to live the third phase of Dhamma, which is the enlightened state. The phase of life that you can experience with the enlightenment that the form of mind develops. This form of mind, the moment is awakened, the wisdom is connected to it, then this form of mind, you can say, is enlightened, but it's not you. But it's your vehicle and tool. You can live that phase of life. You can experience that beautiful phase of life. That's why during that phase, Life becomes so beautiful, so meaningful. You get to experience all of the pristine beauty and joy of life. In the sense that the wisdom will give rise to the understanding that prevents you from suffering. You will never suffer anymore. You only have joy, understanding. And you get to live the life of an enlightened being. That's why there is only inner peace, inner calmness, inner awareness, inner joy, inner happiness. And there is only understanding. And everything is so clear. This form of mind, so clear. Nothing to do with you. But it's an important vehicle and tool for you to come to experience all of the beauty and wonders of life. That's how you can experience them. You can live them. You can really, really live that phase of life, which is so beautiful, so meaningful. And that is what existence is all about. When you have wisdom, when you have awakened, that phase of life is so beautiful. That's why this nature is so blessed in the sense that it has the condition since 1989 until now. Uh, how many years already? 30 years. Exactly, 30 years. Uh, it's so beautiful. The consciousness within is so different, so beautiful. Uh, that's why I can just sit down and do nothing, but every moment is so pristine, so beautiful. And there's so much joy and clarity within. But he will still use this form of mind to live life, to experience. He will still do his duty. He has his vow. He has his condition, affinity. He will still manifest. Yeah. And that's what life is all about. That's what life is all about. 
So when you have that understanding, it's very, very beautiful. Oh, so fast, ah. Ten thirty already. Yeah. Oh yeah. So today the clock battery changed already, so it's running. <laughs> okay. So we finish. So is it clear? Ah, good. So if it's clear, at least it can help you. You have to go back and reflect and contemplate. Eh? You remember last Sunday? The initial wisdom, the step five and step four, sorry, step four. The initial wisdom. When you listen to the Dhamma or the discourse of the Buddha or the essential Dhamma, it can give rise to understanding. And that type of understanding is first turning. The Buddha call it Suttamayapanya. Wisdom born of hearing the teaching. Then when you reflect and contemplate and inquire into it and investigate into all the Dhamma that you have learned, put it to test, then when it stands up to investigation, your faith becomes unshakable. That's how step three comes to be. Then after that, the second turning wisdom, after you reflect, contemplate and inquire, you stabilize your first turning wisdom. Then you assimilate it in. And it becomes your initial wisdom. You can use it to live life. Like the five daily contemplation. When you contemplate until very clear, then what I told you just now becomes very clear. Then you will have more and more moments of mindfulness. Your mind will not stir like before. Every moment of sense experience, the condition might come in and disturb you through your views, opinion, and conditioning. But once your initial wisdom is there, you straighten your view, all these wrong view, they will slowly, slowly become weakened or reduced or rooted out. Then when there is very little wrong view, your avijja weakened. Avijja pacha sankara, that link, also weakened. Means you don't create thought like before. The heedless thinking all no more. Then you will have more moment of peace, more moment of awareness, silent. That's why your daily mindfulness will come during that time. Then space between thoughts starts to be more and more. Then when that happens, the daily mindfulness will accumulate into sati sampajana. Mindfulness and clear comprehension of all action, all movement in the present moment. Uh, once you hit that, you you will become very beautiful. Step four and five, the moment you get it. Step four is very easy. Reflect, contemplate. Go back, re-listen. Until it becomes very, very clear. Then this initial wisdom, the moment is there, you become different. Every moment of consciousness when you live life, you are most of the time peaceful, aware. The duality will not affect you anymore. You will not stir and react like before because of that straightening of you, the understanding. So when you understand all this, you do not fear anymore. Who fear? What fear? The thought fear. And thought is not you. Thought is respond to memory, that brain. That's why the sixth sense door, understand? Uh, the brain is the one that is linked to the consciousness, the thought. 
So all this, when you start to understand, then you will know how to meditate according to what the Buddha had taught us. Yeah, the five ways to overcome the wrong thought, the unwholesome thought, all this, especially the third and fourth way, the meditative way, to develop the penetrative understanding and wisdom. Yeah. And once that one comes in, you will be able to have sense restraint. Then the sense restraint will lead to the three way of right conduct. Then after that, you cultivate four foundations of mindfulness. It's very, very easy and very fast. It's like we all say, kacang putih. Because you already developed the sati, sambajana, everything already. Your initial wisdom. Already. So when you go into the real four foundations of mindfulness, that's why the sutta say, after overcoming covetousness and grief, when you can have sense restraint, you sure don't have covetousness and grief. Otherwise, you cannot arise a three-way of right conduct. That's why by then, you are at least a first stage of sainthood, sotapana, or sakadagami, second stage of sainthood. That's the reason why in the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha said, if you do the Satipatthana Sutta, when you are ready, according to Avijja Sutta, you will realize at least nagami. Otherwise, arahanship, straight away. Yeah. And this is the beauty of the teaching. So, not difficult. Step 4 and 5, especially step 4, initial wisdom, is very easy. Reflect, contemplate, listen attentively, develop the understanding, write it down. If you need to refer to note, means not stable yet. If you need to commit to memory, then you cannot progress. Forget about memory. Don't try to remember anything. But when you can write it out at any time, then when you confront life, situation, or issue, that wisdom will come out. The Uniso Manasakara, wisdom at the moment of saying, it will come out. It will prompt you. Rupang Anichang, Rupang Anatta. Vedana Anichang, Vedana Anatta. Sabe Sankara Anichang, Sabe Sankara Dukkang. It will prompt you. Then you will understand. You have reflected, you have contemplated, you have understood all this very clearly. That's why when that one comes, your mind never stirs anymore. Never reacts anymore. It's always at peace. And there is joy. And you understand it so clearly. Then meditation becomes so simple, so easy. Then all the other teachings become so easy, so clear to you. Then when you have that ability to do it appropriately and correctly, the four foundations of mindfulness, the next step is the seven factor of enlightenment keep on arising. Then you know you're on the right path. Otherwise the enlightenment factor will not arise. Then when the enlightenment factor arise means you are on the way to realize enlightenment in the here and the now. And that one is at least anagami, if not arahanship. Mm. Most of the cultivator, if you follow what I explain, you will hit Arahanship, I tell you. You will not stop at Anagami. Those who stop at Anagami, I realize, they go and do energy field, jhana. They get trapped in the form and formless jhana. They attach to those states. Uh, then the minor conceit and all those things. The, 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 what they call wisdom, not higher now. Uh, 
That's why they cannot break their avijja, ignorant. Mm. Okay, we better stop. Eh? Let us rejoice. Eh? Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Okay, we will do the sharing of merits. Eh? Akasata chivumata devanaga mahindika punyang tang anamoditwa chirang rakantulokasasana Ita wata ca amehi sampadan punya sampadan sabbe dewa anumodantu sabbe sampati sidia idang menya tinang hotu sukita hontunya tayo idang menya tinang hotu sukita hontunya tayo idang menya tinang hotu Sukita hontunya tayo Dewa asatakalena Sasasampatihi tuca Vito bawa tuloko ca Raja bawa tu damiko Ipmina punyang kamena Mame bala samagamo Satang samagamo hotu Yawa nivana patiya sadhu sadhu sadhu. Okay, pay respect, Lord Buddha, Kuanyin Bodhisattva, and all the worthy ones. Then we end.